might be about God is holy. It might be how, how holiness might benefit you in your career path or your finances or whatever. But the church doesn't often talk about personal holiness or communal holiness. And that's going to be the main thrust of the next five to six weeks is just practical, everyday holiness. And I'm not talking about a mental state of mind or some kind of spiritual ascension or anything. I'm just talking about from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment that you go to sleep, what does holiness look like for the life of a believer and disciple of Yeshua? It's going to be very practical things that we're going to take away and and do. Um, You're going to see a variety of speakers up here. You're going to see myself. You're going to see uh, Patrick, Adrian, Bob Sanders. And we're going to be uh, kind of uh, dissecting different facets of the existence of all of us and how we exemplify holiness in that. By show of hands, how many of you did not get a handout? Anybody not get one that wanted one? You would know what I'm talking about. Okay, good. Looks like, would you mind getting my board for me? Looks like everybody got a handout. Um, and I, hopefully you got the text this morning about bringing a writing utensil because you'd be more prepared that way. But we're going to go through this handout. You know, I, I used to do this back when we were much smaller as a congregation. You know, back when we was like 25 people and I could just print out 25 per week. And now it's, um, you know, I knew that there was going to be fewer numbers today because of illness going around. So I was like, you know, I really like doing handouts because uh, it helps people kind of retain the information. But also you can squirrel this handout away and have it for future reference and kind of build upon it. So I gave you guys some homework assignments uh, last week at the, the close of Second Timothy. But let's start at the beginning of this handout, and we're just going to work through it kind of uh, point by point here. But who did their homework, and how many can find some key verses that speak about holiness? Now, holiness is so central to the Bible. The Bible, the authors of the Bible, the God of the Bible is obsessed with holiness. About nine, over 900 times the word holy is used in the Bible, either talking about God himself, which is actually the, the most frequently used adjective God uses to describe himself as holy. Or whether talking about a place or people or objects. The word holy is all throughout, scattered all throughout the Bible. But I saw, Suzanne, give me one verse that you found that speaks about holiness. And when you're volunteering to, to share a verse, you're also very volunteering to read the verse, just FYI. So go ahead, and, and if you don't mind. Hebrews 12.10. Hebrews 12.10. Write that in there if you've got your notes. Be partakers of his holiness. Marvin, where's those markers? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Hebrews Hebrews 12.10, be partakers of holiness. Where we are commanded to be holy. Good, Hebrews 12.10. Anybody get get anything different? Another verse that speaks about holiness? Yeah, Mom? First Peter 2.9. So open your Bibles. You can turn there. Read along with her as she gets ready to read it as well. Good. You're a holy people, Peter is saying there. He's writing to, he he opens that letter to the 12 tribes in the diaspora. And where is he quoting from? Where is Peter quoting from when he says you're a holy people, a holy priesthood? He's quoting from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. He's pulling that. Now, anybody get a different verse? Yeah, uh, Jan? Yeah, go ahead and read it nice and loud. First Peter one, first Peter one, thirteen to sixteen. Write that in your notes. Therefore, make your minds ready for work. Keep yourselves under control and fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when you see the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you. Wow, he's saying, become holy like the Holy One who called you. That's not a, a like a high calling, right? <laughs> become holy like the Holy One who has called you. And how do we do that? Peter says, as Jan read just before that, put off your earthly, what did he say? Do you see that, Jan? Do not let 
Evil desires. Yeah, thank you. Do not let yourself be shaped by your evil desires. Notice he's not saying don't let yourself be shaped by your desires, but don't let yourself be shaped by your evil desires. Okay, you're frozen. I'm going to go to somebody else. I'm sorry. I'll unfreeze you in a minute. So, Marcus, go ahead. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. So write that in your notes. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because that's what Jan just read, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Peter is, again, quoting from the Torah. He's quoting from Leviticus 11:44 and Leviticus 19, 2. When he's saying, be holy for I am holy or be holy like he is holy. Peter's not just pulling this phrase out of thin air. He's quoting from the Torah when he's saying this phrase. And he's, he actually does it twice. Let's do uh, one or two more. Someone different that has another verse they would like to share. Yeah, Adam. All right. Deuteronomy 23, 14. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy. That he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from him. So Deuteronomy 24:13, he says, Make your camp holy. Let there be no wickedness among you. Let's do one more. Anybody have one more? Yeah, Miss Helen? And you shall be holy unto me. For I am not holy, and I have served you from among other people, that ye should be mine. What was the reference on that? Leviticus 20:26. Leviticus 20, verse 26. I'm going to give you one. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Turn there. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. If you want to write it in your notes or turn there and read along with me, he says, Paul says to the church, to the believers in the city of Colossae, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. And not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So you see in all these verses, and just about all of them actually, there's, there's this um, kind of this pairing going on. Where God says, I'm holy. Now if you've been reconciled by me, I want you to be holy. And in our society today, we have this stigma that comes along with people attempting to be holy. We have this phrase, don't we? What is the phrase? Oh, are you holier than thou? Right? Oh, you're just, you're holier than me. And we speak very condescendingly. Someone's actually trying to live a holy life as if that's bad or arrogant. Now, don't get me wrong. There's people who are presumptuously trying to be holy, but they're actually doing it the wrong motives. And they're actually arrogant and religious and hypocritical. But then there is a whole, a drive towards holiness that a, that a believer can have. That is good and it's biblical and actually required of a disciple of our master. Let me take you to one more verse. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And I'll write it up here on the board for you guys. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. It says, but let me write on the board for you. Seventeen and twenty-four. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. What is the futility of mind? That is the, the, what Paul is saying there is that Gentiles, pagans we could say, they chase after things that are futile. 
that are temporal, that mean nothing in the eternal grand scheme of God's plan. They chase after things like money or notoriety or um, in the Roman era, it would have been trying to, to, to increase to another level of society because they lived in a caste system. Those things would have been futile. And we don't have a problem with that today, though, right? We don't, we don't compare each other's houses or cars or, or, or uh, salaries, right? We don't do anything like that. Or, or the number of TikTok followers we have or Instagram followers. We don't do that, right? No, although we do. We grapple with that very much so. And that's, a, that's futility of mind, isn't it? He says they, they have become callous. They have given themselves over to sensuality. For the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Sensuality is following after your senses. Chasing after your senses. That's your religion, in other words. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. And if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just, uh, just as truth is in Jesus and Yeshua, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth to one another of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul is saying that you're in the likeness of God now. So have a mind of holiness and truth because of that. You see the pairing. There's God's holy, so you need to be holy. That's Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. So what is the Hebrew word for holy? And the Hebrew, you know, your, our, our Bibles are divided into two, two parts. The first part of your Bible, the, the Tanakh, as we call it in Hebrew, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, it's written in the Hebrew language, a, a, a small little smattering of Aramaic, but mostly in Hebrew. Whereas what we call the New Testament, the Brich Hadashah, is written in the Greek language. So we have to know, kind of be familiar with both words in these original languages for the word holy. Now, what is the word holy in Hebrew? Kadosh. Yeah, and we say this during the, uh, during the sanctification prayer. We say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Um, but this is, it. this is it in Hebrew up here. The kuf, dalit, vav, and shin. Kadosh. Kadosh. It means to be set apart or recognizably different or wholly consecrated for a specific purpose. Doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. So I've got a picture up here. Um, Russell, would you mind handing me that back? It was uh, January, uh, no, November of 2021. My eldest son Noah and I embarked on a journey from the little creek that flows through our backyard all the way out to uh, the ocean, essentially. We made it to um, Grayton Beach. It took us eight and a half or nine days to get there. You might be thinking, why would you do that? I have no idea. We just were on a quest, I guess. But it was a good bonding experience for the two of us. There was three things that were really holy to us on this journey. It was in November, so it would get down into the 30s at night. We didn't bring water with us. And, uh, yeah, it got cold. I mean, and we were just surrounded by water all day long, every day. What, do you, what, what things do you think were holy to us? Water. <laughs> water was, yeah, water was holy to us. Well, not just any water. We couldn't drink the river water, right? Believe me, we don't want to drink that. We paddled past the uh, little Choctahatchee River uh, sanitation plant as they're pouring all, the, all our sewage into that river. We didn't want to, um, we didn't want to drink that. But we, yeah, we had two sources of water. We could boil the water because we didn't want to bring nine days worth of water in our kayaks with us. Uh, that would have been, you know, 50 pounds in each boat of water. So how did we get water? We had a water filter and we each had a water filter and we filtered all of our water for the day through that filter. And we put it into actually I had this canteen right here that I brought with me and I filtered the water into this from the river. So um, the other way we could do is we could boil it and it saved a lot of weight and it allowed us to travel faster that way. Another thing that was really holy to us, so our water filter was very precious. If we lost our water filter, that meant the trip was basically over or Stacy had to make a special drive down 
And, and she probably would have been like, okay, you're done, get out, you know. But she would have had to make a special trip down to bring us a filter. So we had a water filter. The other thing that was very holy to us that we uh, at all costs kept very, very dry, which was difficult to do if you're surrounded by water for, for eight or nine days, was wool socks. We would put these on at night, and man, did it make a difference to sleep in a tent on the ground wearing wool socks. You know, during the day as we're kayaking down this river, um, we didn't wear socks. We just were pretty much barefoot the whole time. But at night, man, when we dry our feet off and put these things on our feet, it was just a world of difference having warm feet at night. But when these are traveling in a kayak with you, and there's always the risk of tipping over or rain or anything getting into the boat, this was, uh, it was it's so detrimental that we kept this dry. These socks, were they clean them. Yeah, they're clean. <laughs> but one of the things we kept, we, we, had, we had special bags like this, these dry bags. And these were just awesome. These were worth their weight in gold. And we would put all of the stuff that was holy to us in these dry bags. Another thing, a third thing that was holy, that was like the, gold, the holy grail of getting a good night's sleep that we kept in this bag. It was actually this right here. Was our sleeping bags. And this one is, um, this one is so holy that not only did I put it in a dry bag like you see there, but it also, here's the actual sleeping bag, but it also had its own additional dry bag. <laughs> and I would actually wrap my sleeping bag in this Gore-Tex shell and then roll it up and shove it into another dry bag. That's how holy my sleeping bag was to me. Because I wanted at the end of the day, more than anything, when it was cold and we were tired and we wanted to get a good night's sleep and stay warm throughout the night, I wanted that thing to be dry. If that thing got wet, there was no drying it out. I could try to lay it out in the front of my boat or whatever, but it just wouldn't dry. It's just such a wet and humid environment. These things were holy to us. Another thing that's holy to my family, we made it, by the way, we survived and we're, we're much closer, by the way, as father and son because of it. But another thing that is holy to us and my family, if you come to my house, usually if you know where I sit at the end of the table, at my dining room table, there's a china cabinet behind me. And in that china cabinet are books, like my dad's old Bibles, but also my grandmother's, or my wife's grandmother's uh, china that we inherited from Stacy's grandmother. And we get that out on Shabbat. And we only use that on Shabbat. It always goes the same way. I get out the plates and I start setting them out on the placemats on Friday afternoon, getting ready for Shabbat dinner. And then Stacy, I can feel like, you know, she, she kind of grimaces a little bit. She's like, ah, I don't want to get broken. And I'm like, yeah, but your grandmother will want us to use it. You know, the first few weeks of us using her fine china for Shabbat dinner, it was kind of that, you know, when are we ever going to use it? If we're not going to use it from here or like, you know, for Shabbat dinner or for Passover. But that's holy to us. It's consecrated. We don't just, the boys don't open the china cabinet and get out the fine china and then, you know, cook a hot dog on it or something. Or, you know, just ramen noodles and slop them on there. That's, for, that's reserved for Shabbat dinner. That's holy to us. So this word kadosh, it means it's, it's not like, a, you know, that sleeping bag isn't a big deal. Like if I go to Walmart, there's tons of sleeping bags there. But when I take that sleeping bag and I put it into a context of it's cold, it's wet, and we're going to be sleeping on the ground, that I need to elevate the holiness of that sleeping bag. I need to make that holy. I need to put boundaries around my sleeping bag that keep and preserve its integrity and what it's intended to do. And that's the essence of holy, of kadosh, is that it's something that has boundaries around it. Some other words that are used and based on the same root, and you guys are familiar with these words, is the word kiddush. Now, every Friday night when we do Shabbat dinner, we do kiddush. How many of you light Shabbat candles or do blessing over the juice and the bread right in your homes? Yeah, you do kiddush. That's called kiddush, whether you realize that or not. You don't do that any other night, do you? I don't. You know, when we get ready to eat uh, hot dogs or whatever on Thursday night, we don't do kiddush over the hot dogs. But when we sit down for Shabbat dinner and we have guests there, we have the fine china out, we do Kiddush. Why? Because what we're, what we're telling our family and the people that are a guests in our home is that this meal has boundaries. around. That we're, This is one set of two boundaries around the 24 hours that we're entering. That is called Shabbat. We're setting it apart. We're creating boundaries. And that word Kiddush literally means to create a boundary to, or to elevate 
to, to make holy. Kiddush. What about this word? This, this prayer? We just prayed it. Kaddish. Kaddish. The mourner's Kaddish is a prayer that we pray. If you're fasting, if you're sitting Shiva, if you, the, someone you, uh, is connected to you and your family and they die, it's customary that you sit Shiva, which is the seven days of intense mourning. And you say the Kaddish every day of those seven days. What is that? Why are we saying Kaddish? Why are we saying a holy prayer? Well, if you look at the prayer, all it's doing is sanctifying God's name, making his name holy, glorifying his name. It's a really difficult thing to do, but sometimes the only thing that we can do in a deep time of mourning and loss, isn't it? Is God, I don't understand the loss. I don't understand why you took this person from me, but you're holy. Another, another word is Kedushin. Kedushin. This is what uh, most recently Annie and Caleb just did. It's a marriage ceremony. Kedushin is a marriage, a wedding. And it is a setting, it is creating a boundary. So Annie and Caleb looked at each other and they said, we're going to get married. They stood under a chuppah and they said, we're making a Kedushin. In other words, this, this union that we have is different than, you know, like Annie and some other friend of hers or Caleb and some other friend of his. This is different. This is holy. And no one else can enter this marriage. It's between you and I and you and I only. It's holy. There's boundaries in it, right? So that's the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. Something with boundaries around it. Now, Sometimes people confuse holiness with the idea of asceticism. Asceticism is refraining from anything that brings you pleasure. That is, that is not a place in our faith. Our faith does not practice asceticism. We encourage people to enjoy the pleasures of this life, don't we? We love good food. You know, we love a good time. We love laughing. We love playing games. We love joy, simcha. We don't practice asceticism. The difference is sometimes we are called to take those elements of our existence, food, sex, you know, just the basic primal drives of a human being and elevate them and put boundaries around them. And that's the difference between holy and unholy is that one has boundaries and the other doesn't. One says, you know what, food, here's what I can and cannot eat. And I will not eat too much of it because my body is a temple. You sex, here's who and, and here's what and who I can have sex with and when I can have it. It's not saying I can't ever do that. Like in the Catholic Church, you know, the priests can't, they, they practice that. In our faith, we don't. And in fact, we encourage, we encourage, enjoy the pleasures of this world, but elevate them and put boundaries around them. Make them holy. So kadoshing something, we could say, is elevating it and placing boundaries around it. What's the Greek word for holy? Does anyone know? Good, I heard a couple people say it. It's hagios or hagion. Yeah, sometimes that, that, uh, that first sound, that first letter, is kind of like an H sound, hagion. And it kind of has the same idea. It was actually used in ancient Greek uh, literature to talk about uh, temples, even pagan temples. They were a place of hagion, of holiness. Now, look at Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation. I see a typo in my notes. I'm sorry, my hand up. Revelation 4.8. Turn there real quick with me. Revelation 4.8. Revelation 4.8. Sure. The word kadusha. Mm-hmm. That would also fall in this. Exactly. Yeah, that's holy. That's prayer, right? Isn't it basically the kadusha? Yeah. Yep. Kedusha. To make holy. Yeah. So Revelation four eight. Are you there? How many times is this word holy used in the, each of these passages? It says each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying. Hagion, 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 or holy, holy, holy in Greek, because Revelation was written in Greek, is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. 
Now go with me to Isaiah 6, 3. You're going to see some similarities there. Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah 6, 3. It says, Above him stood seraphim, each having six wings. So Isaiah is getting a vision into the throne room of God. I'm on verse 2. Isaiah 6, 2. Uh, with two wings, they covered their faces, and with the other two, they covered their feet. And with two more, they were flying. Now, there's a stop here and just say, these seraphim have six wings. Can you, can you think of a creature that has six wings? No. It's indescribable. It's unique, we could say. These beings, these seraphim, are kadosh. They're different. Verse 3, and they were calling out to one another, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Adonai Sevaot. It says, All the earth is full of his glory. What are some similarities there? How, how many times is this word holy used in each of these passages? Three times. That's important because three is a number of divine perfection or, or completeness. Divine completeness. There is nothing lacking. It's like saying, you know, I really, really, really want you to think about repetition. Or if you remember from the Gettysburg Address, 1863, a government for the a government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln, as he was composing that speech, wanted to stress the people, didn't he? Three times. When you see anything three in the Bible repeated like that, it's saying that this is really holy. <laughs> God, God's throne room is very unique and holy. And it says that holy beings praise him daily, doesn't it? Let's move on to our handout here. Name something or someone who God calls holy. Did you guys find any from your homework? Who does God call holy? Suzanne, give me one. The priest. The priest. Good. Do you have a verse, a reference? Um, yes. Exodus 20, 36. And it's talking about the turban. It says, holy unto Lord. Yeah, yeah. Not only the priest, but the, the high priest. The Kohen Gadol in Hebrew is the high priest. He's wearing a turban, a a hat, and on the front of the hat, it says, Holy to Hashem, to God. Yud heh vav heh. Okay? So the high priest is holy. Anybody else come up with one? Yeah, Jim? Exodus 30, 25. The anointing oil is holy. Good. So you see, a person can be holy. An object can be holy. And actually, isn't it uh, forbidden that we recreate that anointing oil just for general use because it's so holy, which captures kind of the essence of holiness. It's unique. It's set apart. We can't just replicate that for any particular purpose. Anybody else? Look on this side. Anybody have? Yeah, Marcus? Uh, he said that the, mount, the earth on the mountain was holy. And the, Moses was to take the stand and walk, walk on the Good, good. Yeah, that's um, that Exodus 3.5. I got the same one. Holy ground. Remember God speaking through the burning bush and he says, take off your shoes, Moses, because the ground on which you stand is kadosh. So we got that people can be holy. Things can be holy. The ground can be holy. Anybody find anything else? Places. Give me a place. Jerusalem. Do you have a verse? While you're looking for it, let me give him okay, okay, got got it. Another one. God's, name is holy. God's name is holy, yeah. That's Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. God's name is holy. Revelation 21.10. The city of Jerusalem is holy. So we got that a person can be holy, a thing can be holy, the ground can be holy, a city can be holy, God's name is holy. I'm looking for one more. Anybody get it? I see uh, Jennifer's hand shot up. Today, time can be holy. Good. Do you have a verse for that? It's okay if you don't. I got you covered. I got you covered. Uh, look at um, Exodus 20, verse 8. We say it in the Veshamru, don't we? Exodus 20, verse 8. Do you want to turn there with me real fast? Exodus 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. 
If you beat me there, just read it nice and loud. Yeah, remember the Sabbath day. Make it holy. Set it apart. Kadosh it. And how do we do that? We do it by having Erev Shabbat dinner and having Kiddush. And then we, at the end of Shabbat, some, some customs, we do Havdalah, which is literally translated to the separating from. So we, we, we elevate this. Now, anybody else? Any other, other times that can be holy? Any other times? Go to Leviticus 23.21. Leviticus 23. 21 Leviticus 23 21 Somebody read it for me Leviticus 23 21 if you beat me there Yep Read it nice and loud So there we have the feast days, the Moadim, the set apart times, are to be, he uses the Hebrew, Mikra Kodashim, which are holy like rehearsals. A Mikra is like a, a meeting or a rehearsal, like we would do before a, a wedding ceremony. We rehearse it. And that's what the Moadim, the feast days, are listed in Leviticus 23. Anybody else? So we have, we have people can be holy, we have objects can be holy. We have the ground can be holy. A city can be holy. Time can be holy. Leslie, what you got? Uh, Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27. Tithe can be holy. You want to read that for me? It's a, no, I put you on the spot. It's okay. The tithe can be holy. Marcus, you had your hand up. So it categorizes it as food, whereas Yeshua especially, especially says bread. But yeah. Leviticus 22.7. Leviticus 22.7. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy things, because they are his the holy things, yeah, yeah. So food can be holy, yeah. Cool. I think we've got a lot covered here. Let's let's go to the next question. If something loses its holiness, can it ever be regained? Sometimes I, I come across people, believers that that they were living a godly life and then they fell away, and they went back into a worldly lifestyle, and they feel like they can never come back. That God will never accept them back. Go with me to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And specifically, verse 20, verse 22. Ezekiel 36. 36, 22. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do. Keep going. Can you read to verse 32 nice and loud? And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord. So let's pause there. So God's rededicating his own name. He says, my holy name was profaned by you in the nations and among the Gentiles. But I will take you and I will make my name holy again through you. So there, God's name through those through the house of Israel lost its holiness and is being regained through them again. So go ahead. Say the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness. From all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanliness or uncleannesses, and I will call for the I will call for the corn, and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I do this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. So there you have it. The, the name of God was profaned. And he's saying, you profane my name, but I will make it holy again through you. You profaned yourselves, and I will make you holy through my what? Did you see it in the verse? I, heard, I hear people whispering it. Don't be afraid. Say it out loud. I will make you a holy again. He says, I will put a new spirit in you, which will cause you to want to follow my statutes and my judgments. And it'll be like sprinkling clean water on you and making you holy. So to answer the question, yes, things can lose their holiness and then regain them. There's other instances beyond this. Let's look at Leviticus 10.10. Leviticus 10.10. If this is, if you don't like when we go through a lot of verses, I'm sorry, but we're just going to, we're going to really pound this in tonight, just, or this, this morning, this idea of what is holy based on this verse. Leviticus 10.10, I think I have it here in Hebrew. It says, And you'll separate between HaKodesh You'll separate between the Kodesh and you'll separate between the common. The holy and the common. And you'll know the difference between what is Clean, I'm sorry, un- unclean, tameh, and what is tahor, pure. So Leviticus 10, 10, what's the opposite of holy? It's not just outright profane, awful, evil, it's just common. And that's in the life of a believer sometimes, that's the most uh, um, dangerous trap that we fall in, is just getting apathetic. We don't become you know, super evil or sinful or wicked. We don't become like a serial killer or we don't extort lots of people. Sometimes we just get apathetic. We just get common. We become indistinguishable from the world around us as opposed to holy. Now this Hebrew word is chal, chal. It's spelled chet lamed. And I put some notes in there. If you want to see how it's translated in 1 Samuel 21, Ezekiel 48, I just put those in the notes there. You can turn to those and those are translated as common or ordinary. So the opposite of holy is not just Flat out wicked or heathen or whatever. It's just indistinguishable. And what does Yeshua say? I want you to be either hot or cold, right? If you're lukewarm, if you're indistinguishable to me, I will still spew you out of my mouth, right? So in that blank, we could put indistinguishable. Common, yeah. Now, as we go through this study, this study on holiness, we're going to, like I said, look at different facets of our existence. Believers can exemplify and demonstrate holiness through the following facets of your lives. Money and how we view or use it. Money. How we view or use it. Adrian here in a few weeks is going to teach about money. Teach about finances. How we view and how we use it. And how can we do it in a holy way? Because one of the biggest things... That, be honest with you, crushes holy marriages, even within the body of Messiah, is money. How we view and how we use it. It's the number one thing marriages crumble over. That trip over. Number one thing. Second to that is discipline of kids. It's the, the love of that money is the root of all evil. Absolutely. So money, how we view and how we use it. The next facet of our existence in which we can exemplify holiness to the world is marriage. How we find and how we grow it. 
marriage, the reason why I put how we find is because we're supposed to be very intentional about how we find a spouse. Then we're supposed to be very intentional about growing our marriage, much like gardening would be. Intentional about going out and tending to your garden. Your marriage should be the same way. Are you tending to your marriage like you are tending to a garden? Or is it just a static, we're barely getting by, we're in survival mode, we, we fight a little bit less than we used to? Are you looking at it like, I want my marriage to be beautiful, I want it to be deep, I want it to be meaningful, and I want it to be holy, different than any other marriage? Thirdly, we can exemplify holiness through the culture and the environment within our homes, within the four walls of our homes. We can exemplify holiness through the culture and the environment within our homes. And in a few weeks, actually next week, Patrick will be here up here teaching on what it means to have a holy home. What do we do in our holy homes or what do we not do in our holy homes? From the moment you walk in the front door of a home, someone were to come if the UPS man were to walk in your door, would he know that this is a holy home? He might not be able to know that word. But would he see a unique home? Or would he see a home that is just common? Or that is just in chaos or dysfunction? If you flip over to the back side of your notes here, the fourth way in which we can exemplify holiness, and this isn't a comprehensive list, by the way, but the fourth way I believe that we can exemplify holiness into the world around us is through our physical bodies. This includes... Physical health. And this includes all the way down to the clothes that we put on our back. What we might call modesty. Our physical bodies. Health or modesty. And in a few weeks, Bob Sanders is going to teach about holy health. And he's going to have the pleasure of stepping on toes, not me. But this is a topic that is so neglected in the church today. You have... Men of God who stand up on the verge of complete heart failure because they have an addiction to sugar, yet want to teach about the holiness of God and claim and read passages about your bodies being a temple of the living God. That to me is hypocritical. I'm just going to shoot straight. Now, sometimes our focus, our priorities get out of whack and we put too much focus on physical health or fitness as opposed to spiritual. But I think we should have a pretty good balance between spiritual health and physical health and the, and the focus of those two things. Why? Because God wants us to live a long time. This is God's body. It's not Gabe Rutledge's. What I put, what fuel I put into my tank or what would I allow to come into these eyeballs or these ears? This is God's body. It's just on lease to me, right? And I have to be very intentional and purposeful about, about my physical health. Because I want to live as long as this body can take me so that I can tell others about the good news. I can live a holy life as long as I possibly can. Whenever my time comes, he can do it. But I don't want to do anything that's damaging to this physical body. The next question on your handouts is, does holy equal perfect? What do you all think? No. Holy equals striving. Holy equals swimming upstream in a world that is just going downstream as fast as possible. Holy means I'm going to do my best to be unique and distinguishable. I'm going to try my best to be godly. This doesn't mean perfection. I put in your handouts, and I think I have in the homework, give an example of someone or something in our modern American society that is holy and is not a religious figure. Who do you think is holy in our in our culture? Who do we who do we make holy in our culture? You don't want to know. You want to no, know. I want to know. Tell me. A lot of the Catholics think the Pope. Did. The Pope? Yeah. Football players. Football players. Yeah, he's a religious figure. Football players. Good. Football team. Yeah. I mean, they're like they're like priests out on the field, right? And they're doing this thing, and and they've even got cheerleaders and a choir, and I mean, they got a budget. Yeah. Nick Saban, he's holy, right? Man, how many people were torn up about him retiring? Apparently, he's, he's the Pope of Alabama. Who else is holy in our culture? Who else is holy? Who? 
Actors and actresses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actors and actors. Yeah, we somehow we, we take we take a religious, we take political advice from actors and actresses. People that are paid to to lie well. Think about that. People that are paid well to be fake. We take advice from them and counsel from them. Oh, they they endorsed this person for president? Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take your advice. Who else do we consider holy? Some people think Donald Who? Trump. Preachers. Say again? Preachers. preachers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very, Who very else? Wealthy people. wealthy people. Here's another one. Political figures. Political politicians we consider to be healthy. Yeah. Or not healthy. Um, Holy. Holy. Presidents. Yeah. It's someone, when they, when they walk in a room, everybody kind of knows that person is there. Or people pay special attention. That, that they are holy. Or they have bodyguards, right? There's boundaries around them. Yeah. What about this? Um, I have another question on here. What is the holiest object, room, or time in your home? What is the holiest object, room, or time in your home? My Torah. Your Torah? Good. The bedroom. Yeah. How many of you, um, it's this. Where, where's this app? I can't find it. Can you call it for me? You know, it's been five minutes since I touched it. Right? And you're starting to tremble. You're starting to shake. I can't let it die. Where's the charger at? Where's the charger? There's supposed to be one by my bed, right? How many of you, this is the first thing you look at every single day and the last thing you look at every single day? This is holy. Right? How many of you just give this to a stranger? Here, take this. Here's the code to it. No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because this is holy to you. This is holy. Right? And, and it's like the, the, the level of charge on that screen and where the battery, the status of the battery somehow has this like mental and this like physical effect on us, doesn't it? It's like, oh, my phone's at 8%. And like your anxiety starts to go up, you know, it's 7%, 6%, you know? Or, or the amount of reception or the strength of the Wi-Fi that comes in this phone. Is this the holiest object in your home? What about your television? Right? Now, here are some things that should be holy in your home. Your, your dining room table should be holy. Your dining room table should be holy. How much time do you spend as a family at your dining room table? Your, your Bible should be holy. Do you take your Bible and just put it in the trunk of your car and it's there for three weeks and you're like, oh yeah, there it is. I forgot that I even lost that. Now, I like to leave my Bible on my dining room table. When I come home every Saturday afternoon, I take my Bible out of my backpack and I put it on my dining room table because that, it's just a, a habit, a, a thing that I have. I'm more likely to get my cup of coffee in the morning and sit down at the dining room table and drink it. And if my Bible is sitting right there, I, I have a, a greater uh, tendency to actually open it and begin to read it. Just little little habitual cues like that. But yeah, your bedroom should be holy. Absolutely. Your bedroom should be holy. Now, there's your, your, your home should look like a temple. It should be like a temple and treated like a temple with concentric spheres of holiness within your home. You know, with your home, your, your home itself is like the, the outer court of the temple. You know, you can let the UPS man in. But but would you let would you let some uh, like guy who's who's you know dressed like he's strung out on cocaine into your home no because you want to protect your home it's holy would, would you let someone who is um who is a known serial killer into your home no of course not it's holy and the people in it you want to protect and put boundaries around but would you invite your neighbor into your home yeah you know them would you invite them to sit at your dining room table absolutely yeah even though it's, it's a higher level of... Would you invite them into your bedroom? No. You wouldn't. It's the, it's the holy of holies, isn't it? There's only one other person, with the exception of maybe your kids when they're sick, are welcome to lay in that bed, aren't they? That's, that's the holy of holies, isn't it? And we should view our homes that way. And Patrick's going to expound more on that here next week. But according to Ephesians 4, 17, verses 17 to 24, there's three ways... Turn there real fast with me as we're winding down here. There's three ways to become holy. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. Take off your old self. Take off your old self. 
Put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me review that. Change your thinking. Take off your old self. Put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to wrap up with a couple of questions here. I know I'm running over a little bit. I'm sorry. That clock is super slow. I've been looking at that the whole time. What is the purpose of everyday holiness? Someone tell me. What's the purpose of everyday holiness? Why holiness, Marcus? To be like God. To be like God. Why? Because we're called to be. Why? Number one, to sanctify God's name. Write it in there. To sanctify God's name. And doing so, we draw others to him. So sanctify God's name. Draw others to him. Thirdly, we preserve our lives. We preserve our own lives. Being holy brings you life and longevity. And then lastly, to reclaim our role as an image bearer of God. To reclaim our role as an image bearer of God. Non-holy just isn't working for our world, is it? Is it? It's not. Our world is falling apart because it's not holy. It's not focused on being like God. True or false? Holiness is instant once we pray the sinner's prayer and accept the Messiah as Lord. It's false. John 17, 17 says, sanctification comes through the word. Reading the word, studying the word, hearing it taught is sanctifying. It's making you holy. And it comes through according to 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 2. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Numa Hagion. The Ruach HaKodesh. True or false, becoming holy puts us in a place of superiority over those who are unholy. False. Colossians 3.12 says that we are to put on meekness, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Doesn't sound like superiority to me. True or false, being kadosh, being holy, is strictly a mental being or state of mind. It has no physical manifestation. False. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 through 8 says, Israel, you are to be holy because people will look at you following my laws and my decrees and they'll say, I want that God. Clearly, there's physical manifestation of holiness there, isn't there? I hope you got all the answers to your handouts. It'll be for a quiz grade. Put those in the grade book. Let's pray and then we'll do Kiddush. We'll do holy. (laughs) Father, I thank you. That you have reconciled us to you through Yeshua's blood. I thank you that you desire us to be holy like you are holy. I thank you that you give us grace in times and areas where we fall short of that call. As we continue to break bread together, may it be holy. May it be unique. May our conversations be centered around you and your word and your desire for us. I pray this in Yeshua's matchless name. Amen.